Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 8, Episode 22. In the last episode, I devoted the entire narrative to the place of Alab. While nothing much is known from what's in the Bible, there is enough in the outside record to fill a shortened episode. If you missed it, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm picking up where I left off in Judges 1 and pressing forward. And with that, let's get started. Next up should be Akezeb, but I covered this place in Volume 1, Chapter 7, Episode 32, released in June 2021. After this is Helba, but this is the only place that location is mentioned in the entirety of the Bible, and there's nothing in the outside record, so no joy there. Which brings me to Aphek also known as Tel Aphek. Like the other few places, it too was in the territory of Asher. And like the Tel in the name suggests, it's an archaeological site on top of a hill, in this case on the coast of the modern country of Israel. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, this area was considered part of Kabul and was given to the Phoenician king of Tyre, Haram I, by King Solomon as a reward for various services rendered to the Israelites in building the first temple, and as recorded in 1 Kings 9. In the outside record, artifacts dating as far back as the Stone Age have been uncovered at the site, though it's unclear if these demonstrate a permanent sort of settlement at that time or merely transitory. All of that becomes clearer in the Bronze Age, with tombs dating to the Middle and Late Bronze Ages having been uncovered. All of this around the time the Israelites showed back up. It seems the place remained at least somewhat occupied through the next several eras, with pottery fragments being uncovered from the Persian, Greek, Roman, and the Byzantine periods. Many artifacts from the Crusader era have been uncovered, including records pointing to an internal crusader dispute, in this case, between the Knights Templar and the Hospitallers about water rights. It seems the Hospitallers acquired a mill and village in the area and were diverting too much of the precious natural resource for the Knights Templar's liking. Also dating to the era, and possibly related to the dispute, two aqueducts have been excavated. The Muslim Mamluks came to control the town in 1291. From that period as a two-story fortress with a water-powered grain mill on its lower level. A few centuries later, in 1517, it would come under Ottoman control. Apparently, the town was considered to be a milling center as a couple more hydro-driven millstones were added, along with an expansion of the fortifications. A 19th century French explorer visited the town and provided a nice explanation of all the milling. To the north and bottom of this tell, along the marsh, we observed the remains of an enclosure which measured 54 steps long by 40 wide, and which seems to have been part of that fortification. All the walls had been removed, the inner blockage alone partly remained. Concerning the surrounding marsh and mill, he noted that it was the origin of the Narnamin River, 
and these springs at their origin are immediately abundant enough to form a considerable river and to turn the millstones of a mill. Near this mill, we note the lower foundations of an old bridge and the remains of a tower pierced with loopholes and original vaults. It had two floors and was built with large square-cut stones known as ashlars, on which many crosses were traced, and some at a height that the hand cannot reach. Therefore, these crosses could not be engraved there by passing travelers, who would have needed a ladder to place them so high, but they must go back to the time when the tower was occupied by Christians, and most likely date from the time of the Crusades. Above the front door was a balcony, the trace of which is still visible. Not long after his description, in 1881, the Palestine Exploration Fund survey of Western Palestine found only piles of stones near the mill. A German-American archaeologist in 1900 described markings he believed were Phoenician. In 1925, much of the area was purchased by Jewish families who subsequently relocated to the town. The area is now part of Israel and mostly part of the Ein Afek Nature Reserve. This includes the Crusader Fortress and natural water canals and lake, which draw their waters from the year-long flowing springs of Afek, which is also the source of the Naaman River. And that's it for Afek. Next up is Rehob not to be confused with Tel Rehov. Other than the frequently confusing, similarly named town, nothing else is known about Rehob. Beth Shemesh is found after Rehob. I covered this place in Chapter 7, Episode 30, released in June 2021. After that is Beth Anoth, a city from which Naphtali failed to drive out the Canaanites. Earlier, in Joshua 19, we were told it was a walled city. Outside of the Bible, its name was found in a list of places conquered by Ramses II, placing it in the same era. It seems the city was well established in Canaanite culture before the Israelites came back, owing to a temple dedicated to a Canaanite-slash-Sumerian goddess. The town itself was named after this deity, Anat she was likely linked to a corresponding Sumerian deity named Nihursag. Even after the Israelites conquered parts of Canaan, the city seems to have remained in the control of the Canaanites, as seen in documents throughout the era. This shouldn't be much of a surprise, as the text of Judges itself tells us as much, time and again, relaying that Naphtali, or whichever tribe is being covered, did not drive out the inhabitants of this place or that. As late as the 2nd century AD, Beth Anath was considered a border village inhabited by both Jews and Gentiles. Eusebius, the 4th century AD Christian Greek historian, located the town about 9 miles, 14 kilometers from Dora. This, though, may have been outside the boundaries of Naphtali, there are other places that have been identified as the town, including Ein Adda, located in the modern Lebanon. There's also Baina, located in the Beit Harkarim Valley. 
This is on the border between Upper and Lower Galilee. The site itself dates to at least as early as the Iron Age. Many researchers, including William F. Albright, consider this place to be the actual location of the city, though he based this almost solely on the similarities between its name and what's found in the Jerusalem Talmud, along with the modern name of the village at the site. Albright proposed that the ancient site of Beth Anath was probably situated at the mound of Jelamet el Bina, less than a mile southeast of the present site of Bina, in a location surrounded by fertile fields. In Hebrew, the word Jelalma translates to hill or mound, and is sometimes used in the place of Tel. There are a few other proposed sites, including Binue Ninajet and Haina. The latter is a town on the southeast side of Mount Hermon. This location was supported by Josephus. He also proposed that Naphtali's territory may have extended as far as Damascus in the east, quite a distance. Finally, there's Safed el-Baktik. This would place it about 15 miles, 24 kilometers from Caesarea, and that's Beth Anoth, and a good stopping point for this week's episode. Join me next week when I'll wrap up the history of the people, places, and things found in Judges 1. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, Help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes or wherever you get the podcast from. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.